Welcome to the MEFG Global Markets FX Week Ahead podcast with Lee Hardman, Senior Currency Analyst at MEFG. It's Friday, 8th September 2023, and joining Lee to pose some questions on the financial market themes for the week ahead is Lin Lee, Head of Global Markets Research Asia. The following podcast is intended for professional investors and eligible counterparties only and not for retail clients. Any content should not be regarded as an offer to conduct investment business or an investment recommendation, but for information purposes only. Hi, Lynn. Uh, thanks for joining today's podcast. You're obviously joining us at a difficult time for China's economy, which is attracting more market attention. Certainly over the summer period, we've seen market participants becoming more and more pessimistic over the outlook for growth in China, which has contributed to the renminbi falling to its lowest level against the dollar since 2007. It'll be interesting to hear your your thoughts on recent developments over in China. And I think a good place to start would be what what have been the the main drivers you think behind this uh, weaker than expected period of growth for China? And do you expect this weaker growth to continue going forward? Thanks, Lee. Uh, the key reason for a weaker than expected growth in China this year uh, so far, uh, I think, is the weak sentiment in China, so which had negatively, uh, you know, affected both consumption and investment. Uh, while the zero COVID policy has been removed, but it had it had left a scar on the Chinese economy through a negative impact on the labor market. So we see uh, apparent reluctance to spend. So that reflected also the weak consumer confidence as well, caused by this uh, 20% plus unemployment rate of the youth. Also, this ongoing stress and problems in the real estate sector, concerns on Chinese debt issues, all uh, helped to dampen the uh, overall confidence. So look ahead. Um, after broad-based pressure in Chinese economy, uh, you know, implied by July macro numbers, we began to see some marginal imp- improvement in August. For example, we see the above 50 new orders uh, for the manufacturing PMI uh, in August. So in terms of growth, in short, uh, we expect moderate improvement in Q4 as a result of a recent uh, policy stimulus on the uh, real estate sector and the broader economy. Great. Thanks, Lynn. And just would it be possible to give some more kind of details as well on the um, stimulus measures that have been announced? Like, Do you think those are going to be sufficient to turn around investor sentiment towards China? Uh, this is a very difficult question, but we have uh, we have seen quite a few important policies has been rolled out by government lately, uh, including various policy on uh, research sector. Also, uh, you can see that PDOC and National Financial Regulatory Admission and China Security Regulatory Commission uh, they jointly announced on uh, a fifteen uh, on. 18th August, that the government plans to uh, adjust credit uh, credit policies for real estate sector. Also, we see uh, recently the tier one cities they uh, announced to execute the guideline of uh, recognizing a house, not a loan. And uh, you know, the last day of August, PBC uh, 
and uh, uh, the state administration of financial uh, supervision uh, issued a notice to reduce interest rate for the stock uh, uh, of the first home mortgage loan, and also the um, the, um, uh, the they set up a lower limit for the minimum uh, loan uh, down payment uh, ratio policy uh, for the first and second homes. So these policies are quite relevant. I think essentially we have to recognize the importance of uh, you know the real estate sector to the overall economy. So also the monetary policy is at, at quite a competitive uh, um, state. So, but having said that, it's always a uh, very difficult task for government uh, to um, to deal with this kind of, a, you know, trying to um, restoring the confidence. So that actually is a, is this, uh, beyond the cyclical approach. So uh, in addition to uh, measures we have been saying, you know, working on the reducing cyclical uh, pressures, I think we expect to see more measures in solving structural issues. These are also needed to help boost um, sentiment. Yeah, it's in interesting. I think certainly we, we have seen as well over here in, in Europe focuses not just on the, the kind of cyclical elements of this slowdown in, in China, but increasingly people are also asking whether this is kind of start the start of a kind of bigger kind of structural slowdown as well. Like, like do you think China could be a, at the start of like a lost decade similar to what Japan had in, in the 1990s? I think on the surface, uh, you know, uh, China's current struggles such as uh, aging population and deflation and high debt level, especially high debt level for the uh, corporate side. And the lack of demand for spending, uh, you know, also lack of demand for uh, in, uh, spending on expanding investment for corporate side. So all of this do looks very much similar to what Japan experienced in early 1990s. So, uh, what happened in Japan during that period, you know, definitely, you know, is that Japan began to do this kind of uh, um, uh, deleveraging, right, on the debt. So it's called, you know, um, balance sheet recession. So whether China will repeat that or not, I think so still at this stage, I think it still cannot make a conclusion that China will uh, also have a lost decade ahead. I think the main, main reasons that could be, you know, First of all, China's asset prices didn't really suffer that much, you know, um, if you compare with what uh, we saw uh, in terms of a level of decline that Japan suffered before the happening of the uh, balance sheet recession. Secondly, uh, the desire of repair balance sheets in China is much less strong. Uh, thirdly, and uh, I think the China's large portion of state enterprises in economy can help to avoid uh, you know, uh, the unwanted pace of balance sheet reduction. So all of that, I think it will actually make the transit case slightly different and hopefully different this time. So, uh, but it's a very uh, challenging, again, that solution uh, to that is has to come back to, you know, trying to shore up the confidence. So government still have a lot of work to do. Yes, and as we've seen in, in the FX market, this is certainly playing out in terms of leading to a, a weaker 
uh, Chinese renminbi, where we've seen that fall to the lowest level against the dollar since 2007, back in the global financial crisis. And what's your view? Do you think domestic policymakers in China are, are welcoming this move lower in the renminbi? No, I don't think so. Uh, if you look into the uh, fixing, right, CFETS fixing, US dollar CMY fixing. So since I think the uh, near the end of the uh, last month, we have been seeing PBOC has been setting this fixing uh, persistently uh, stronger in terms of CMY against US dollar. So uh, I think that uh, the the, uh, the level uh, of fixing is roughly uh 1,000 pips lower than uh, Bloomberg surveyed numbers. So definitely that is signified, you know, the intention of uh, government trying to have a stable currency at this stage. Also, uh, government has been utilizing other instruments such as, uh, you know, cutting the uh, foreign exchange reserve ratios by 200 uh, basis points lately. So they are trying to work on that, trying to still wanting a, you know, pretty much wanting a stable currency reducing the volatility of a uh, uh, US dollar pair. I think that is a policy orientation at the moment. Great. But what do you think could happen in, say, if over the next sort of three to six months, if domestic demand in China continued to remain weak, would Chinese policymakers then start to consider the possibility of allowing a bigger devaluation of the currency to try and boost kind of net trade to support growth? Uh, first of all, uh, you know, if we look into China's export uh, growth, actually, also compared with you know other uh, Asian countries' export growth, you will see uh, we can conclude that you know the weak growth, negative uh, um, export growth, was largely due to the weak demand in the uh, major final destination countries such as U.S. Europe. And we also see that uh, as U.S. actually stepping out of COVID, we see a big trans uh, transition from consumption in goods into consumption in services. So, and also, you know, uh, come along this kind of uh, growth deceleration in um, U.S. domestic economy. I think it pretty much uh, we can conclude that it is not so wise to depreciate. Further, uh, let me be against US dollar at current 7.3, uh, because that will actually incur a sort of a, um, potential capital flight situation. Or even though China has a you know a capital control in some degree, but that will work very negatively on the sentiment. So that's a reason I don't think China will uh, will depreciate currency to boost uh, uh, export. Another is that uh, it is fully recognized that in China, Chinese government need to do better in uh, trying to stabilize growth, st stabilize domestic consumption and uh, you know investment. So that is a core uh, concentration for the government at this uh, uh, stage. It's not that trying to rely on the better export, which largely hard to be achieved to save the to release to relieve the domestic pressure so uh yeah i don't think that uh, that will be a reasonable approach to devalue RMB, uh to say to provide support for the overall chance economy thanks lynn i've just got one final question on 
dollar CNY. So looking at our latest forecasts, we still show dollar CNY moving lower over the next kind of six to 12 month period. What's your thinking behind that? What, what do you think will change this this weakening trend for the renminbi? Um, if we recall what happened in uh, in the early um, November last year, so basically in the in the month of uh, November after Ch- and part of uh, December, so basically after China began to relax its COVID policy and after and after China eventually abandoned zero COVID policy, I mean, be quickly strengthened from seven point three to six point six. So now we are actually saying that uh, the B will, uh, you know, appreciate from uh, 7.3 uh, to uh, the, um, by the end of this year, we see actually 7.1. I think the reason is that uh, still we are uh, expecting um, positive, improving sentiment in China regarding China's economy and uh, the assets. So largely due to the recent rollout of various uh, policies. So sentiment now has been very weak. But the question is, we do we see why we see room uh, for, for improving uh, sentiment. So if you look into recent uh, developers, um, stock, uh, developers stock prices, you know, we see some sharp volatile price improvement lately due to the rollout of policy uh, as, uh, kind of, um, on the real estate sector. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, from that front, I think at one, one conclusion we can fairly and very confidently to say is that at that current stage, I think still much more upside than downside on the same line. But again, having said that, I think US dollars movement in the near term can create a lot of volatility on the current, uh, on the uh, currency pair, um, movement as well. So having said that, actually, uh, me, I think also for uh, Asia clients and uh, I'm sure for um, uh, Europe clients and, and U.S. clients, they are very much interested in the implications of China's uh, situation on U.S. dollar uh, and uh, other currency as well. Uh, May, I have several questions. I also prepared several questions for you. Uh, you know, we want to hear your thoughts. Great, Lynn. Fire away. Okay. So, um, so China's uh, growth is slowing down. We are seeing a 5.1% for this year, and we're seeing a 5% for next year in terms of real GDP growth. So, how do you think this uh, spillover effect you know, will, be, uh, uh, will have for the global economy? Yeah, I think as a, like a starting point, Lynn, we have to acknowledge that the global economy is, is currently weak. Um, and that with China's economy, see one of the biggest economies in the world now, if, if China's economy was to continue to slow, that would further weaken the already uh, weak uh, outlook for, for global growth going into next year. So it's certainly a, an additional kind of downside risk that we're, we're paying more, more attention to. Um, we would say, though, that obviously in terms of the linkages for China to the rest of the world, um, the main linkages are really still through kind of trade rather than um, the kind of financial linkages there, which is, is still uh, more, more limited. Um, we would say in terms of the trade exposure, 
It's obviously regions, uh, as you would expect, such as Asia and Europe, which are more uh, exposed to slowing demand in China, uh, in contrast to the US, which is 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 is, is less ex- less exposed. So should show more more resilience to the um, the, the China slowdown. Um, and the other, obviously, countries which potentially would would be negatively impacted more by slowing demand in China potentially would be countries which are the kind of commodity uh, producers and exporters, countries such as those in, in Latin America, uh, which would be potentially hurt by by a slowdown in, in China. So those are the kind of main channels we think that this China slowdown could could have a, a more of a negative impact on on global growth. Um, it would say, though, that at this stage, we'd, we'd see only kind of modest uh, negative spillovers to, to major economies. It, you'd need to see a much sharper slowdown, I think, for, for, for it to have a, a bigger impact on, 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 on other major economies from, from, from here. One thing, obviously, like we are watching is obviously the risk as well of like a bigger devaluation for the renminbi. I think that would be important for the, the global outlook. Uh, obviously, if we were to see a much bigger devaluation. Would make China's exports more competitive, and uh, obviously uh, the comp- uh, China's main competitors, their their uh, exports would be uh, become uh, less competitiveness. So it could undermine uh, countries which are kind of competing with with China. So um, that that's certainly uh, one channel which which could be a risk as well going forward. Thank you, Lee. So uh, I would say in the past year and also uh, this year, you know, inflation, uh, major central banks hiking cycles definitely uh, are the focus of the market. How do you think of this slowing growth in China? Uh, do you do you think they will? How, uh, what kind of impact this will have on major central banks hiking cycles going forward? Yeah, it's a good good question. Like our view is that we think major central banks are already very close to the end of their hiking cycle. So we think the Fed will will pause their hiking cycle uh, this month. Uh, the ECB as well, we don't think will, will hike uh, rates next next week. So for those major central banks, they're already very close to the end of their hiking cycle. So yes, if China continues to slow, it gives those major central banks an additional reason to be more cautious over the need for, for further tightening. But for them to then kind of shift uh, towards a more kind of dovish direction and open the door for rate cuts, I think you'd need to see a much bigger slowdown in China for that to be kind of important in terms of driving central banks to uh, start cutting rates uh, in those major economies. I think for the likes of the Fed, they're still going to be more focused on the, the domestic uh, inflation outlook. Uh, as the main driver for for their policy setting going into next year. Um, our uh, core focus, uh, you know, the GMR team in MFG is FX. So, uh, from the uh, for the developed market, FX market, how uh, has the FX market uh, reacted to the uh, to the heightened investment investor concerns over over China in general? Yeah, well, certainly yeah, those right. those those concerns have uh, intensified over over the summer period, and um, that has coincided with a period of, of dollar strength. We've now seen the dollar index is on course for the eighth consecutive week of gains. So we would clearly say that the dollar has been one of the, the if one if not the main beneficiary of this this period of, of, of weakness in, in China growth uh, expectations. 
and, and in terms of currencies which have obviously been hurt the most um we look back over the last couple of years to peer, similar periods of weakness in CNY, and there's a fairly consistent trend. It's no surprise, but it's the currencies, the commodity currencies in the G10 space, such as Aussie and Kiwi. Uh, and then alongside them as well, it's the Scandinavian currencies of the uh, Swedish krona, Norwegian krona, which have all tended to uh, underperform during periods of CNY weakness. Um, outside of G10, yeah, it's obviously Asian currencies. Uh, and other commodity and emerging market currencies uh, are obviously more vulnerable to further weakness if uh, China growth concerns continue to uh, intensify. Thanks, Nick. So uh, aside from the uh, US dollar uh, CNY pair, which reached uh, you know uh, trading closer to last year's highs, so uh, another currency is US dollar JPY. So uh, how do you, how do you, what do you expect? You know. Um, Japan will do. Uh, do you think that uh, you know Bank of Japan will follow China also provide some support for the JPY? Yeah, I think we had some interesting comments this week from the chief currency official over in in Tokyo, and um, yeah, we those comments uh, were very similar to what we heard from Japanese officials um, in September of, of last year, just before they intervened. So we we now think that. The level of intervention risk is at the uh, the highest level, so it could intervene uh, at any point, really, go, going forward. Given the, the the comments that we've had from Japanese officials, like we we feel that at this stage they're probably reluctant to do so ahead of the the G20 uh, meeting. Uh, could be diplomatically uh, difficult to uh, to explain. Similarly, as well, we also kind of highlighting that. Recent price action, yes, Dollyen is moving higher back towards the, the highs from last year when Japan last intervened to support the yen. But price action so far, it's been a fairly gradual move higher recently. Obviously, if Dollyen was to kind of pop higher above 150 uh, and start to move more quickly to the upside, uh, at that point, I think uh, it would increase the risk of, of them stepping uh, the yen. Um, so we have to think what are, what are the potential triggers which could could could, could make Dollyen start to move more quickly to the upside. Um, Obviously, China potentially could be one trigger. Obviously, if dollar CNY starts to go higher uh, at, a, at a faster pace, that could trigger a, a broader dollar rally and, and, and a sell-off in, in the end. Obviously, people are looking at Japan's economy as being one of the more kind of exposed to uh, the slowdown in China. And if that reinforces negative sentiment towards uh, the yen in the FX market, then um, that could be an additional reason to put upward pressure on, on dollar yen. Thanks, Lee. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Uh, yeah, we've obviously had an interesting discussion today. It's great that you uh, were able to come and join us today on, on, on today's podcast um, and hear your views on, on China. I think we kind of both agree that developments in China are likely to remain an important driver for FX markets going forward through the rest of this year. And I'd just like to say, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening to today's podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this MUFG Global Markets podcast. Rate, review and subscribe and contact your MUFG sales rep for more information. Come back next week for more insights from the Global Markets Research Team.